Welcome to Three Devs and a Maybe, the podcast series for beginner web developers and general web enthusiasts. Now, introducing your show hosts Michael Budd, Fraser Hart, Lewis Gaines, and Ed Mann. Hi, welcome to another episode of Free Devs and Maybe. I'm Michael Budd, and today I am joined by the ever-present Ed Mann. Hello, I'm always here. Yeah. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm very good, thank you, sir. How about yourself? I'm I'm good. I'm, I'm not as good as you, because you're about to go on holiday. I don't know what to say to that other than, you know, yeah, I mean, you yes. can rub it in. You could be like, yeah, I'm going on holiday, and you're not. I'll be like, I, I feel for you. I feel for you. I thought I should just bring it up in case we have a big following in. Is it Cyprus you're going to? Cyprus, yes. Going with Mike. With that, not Michael, you're Michael. I'm actually going yeah. with Lou. Yeah, I know. Lou's yeah. out there already. So it should be really good. Been really lucky. Well, I, I'm looking forward to hearing the, the swimming pool podcast. That'll be, uh, be a treat. <laughs> it, it, yeah. I, I heard that technology, electrical goods, and, you know, water <laughs> Works well. work well together. I mean, obviously, with the new iPhone, it's fine now with being waterproof. You know, well, so only, there we go. It's only water resistant, though, right? Uh, I love that water resistance. So, where does the limit from resistance to proof? I mean, I mean, the thing is, like, you imagine the amount of phone calls you take in the shower, right? I mean, oh, it's going to be. Yeah, absolutely. The amount of time you just, you know, you just throw it around, like, you know, in yeah. puddles of water. It's, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I am. I, I know I spoke to you about it before, but I guess, I don't know, not disappointed, but there's not enough in it to make me want to run out and buy it. Um, I think the, the trouble is, is that they changed the game in 2007, didn't they? And yeah. then ever since, you know, like other companies have been, you know, and it's slowly iterating on what they've already got. Yeah. So it's not it's not a revolution. It's just an evolution. So, you know, yeah. you're evolving over a product that, I mean, there's only so much you can do with it. I mean, things such as, you know, adding the fingerprint stuff was good, um, yeah. small little tweaks. I mean, it is an interesting one with them removing um, the, the aux cable, the aux input. I mean, that, yeah. you know, does change quite a lot. I don't know whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. I think, you know, obviously they, they put in, the, in with the actual with each each purchase of the iPhone now, you get in the box a lightning cable to to audio jack. So yeah. that's going to help mitigate it a bit. But yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, again, speak to me in a year when I probably have the phone and I think it's awesome that, you know, everything's now wireless. But yeah, I, I don't really know. I mean, it's just annoying that the fact that, you know, you've bought headphones and you've bought expensive pieces of gear um, and then yeah. it's just like, oh, yeah, by the way, they're, they're, they're not going to work. Or they will work, but you'll have to have these adapters that aren't going to look. Essentially trying to push you towards buying new products. That's really what it is about. It's like, you, yeah. know, you need to upgrade your whole life. So, you know, your whole, all, all yeah. the accessories along with, your, you know, the actual product you've got. I mean, it happened when they they switched from the old cable, the old That's Apple, right. uh, the yeah. iPod cable, iPhone cable to the new one and you know that the benefits there were the fact that it was smaller uh and the fact that you could plug it in both ways and but they didn't go with the standard of the usb uh the micro usb which i didn't mind um but then again yeah. it's all these accessories that you you purchase throughout the lifetime of other products that you think you can use and then again you have to get adapters for them and stuff like that so it can be a bit of a ball lake but anyway that that's our, think... that that is our apple news for the day <laughs> I think they're a victim of their own success, aren't they? And in the fact, like I think we said, it's so hard for them to innovate now. I mean, I, I can't imagine what the next. Well, that's the trouble, isn't it? What can you do? Like, I mm. mean, it came such a left field when they did release the iPhone, and it was so different to what you looked at as a pocket PC or a Palm Pre back then, you know, kind of thing. And yeah. and now, you know, it's become the de facto of what a phone is or a smartphone is. So. 
Yeah, I think I, the I don't thing know what for me do. would be uh, if they brought out a device with incredible uh, extra battery life. Because that's well, the thing that I mean, the joke is, so I, I don't know if I explained it on the podcast, but I definitely talk, spoke to you about it. Like, you know, I obviously had a, a, a problem with my old, well, well my, my iPhone, uh, my iPhone 6S, stopped working, went into the Apple store. They gave me a brand new one. Happy yeah. days. You know, they're great service like that. Um, you know, no, no money had to change hands. You know, it's all guaranteed under the year warranty thing and they're fine with it, you know. Yeah. But the one thing that I've loved the most about having this new phone is the battery life because I'm like, wow, I can go back down to... Ha- I mean, like, having a new phone, it's the battery life that to me is the yeah. win because now I've got a brand new fresh battery and I can yeah. last probably a couple of days on one charge, which is insane. Yeah. And, you know, back in the day with our old Nokia 3210s and stuff, we could just replace the battery and yeah, that would be yeah. it. Now we don't. And I understand that it's all to do with the fact of making it more compact and everything like that. But I would actually probably... And I don't know, you know, obviously you'd have to look and say how big the device would actually have to be to cater for having a replaceable battery. But I would happily have a thicker device that could have a replaceable battery in it as opposed to yeah. what we currently have just because of the sheer fact that, you know, the I mean, that the whole the whole fact that you've now had to you've created an industry for rechargeable external battery packs for usb ones i mean again that's great you know because it's a generic interface that can um, charge a lot of things but i would Mm. i would love just to have an extra battery for my iphone that i could just do without having to you know because the batteries just get you know destroyed because of you know our regular you know the the best way i I don't mean i don't know like for me and i don't know whether this is the right thing like i feel the best way of handling a, a battery is that you should have it you know, you should you should, for, for, you should like you know charge up to a full cycle, and then you need to run it down and yeah. make sure it runs down completely flat, and then charge it up again. And that's when you're going to get the best, you know, the, the longevity out of your phone. Yeah. Um, but life doesn't work like that because you know the trouble is is you only have like say during the night to charge it. So you charge it yeah. during the night, and then you have to use it all day to charge it again. So you couldn't say, oh well, I still have about twenty five percent battery life left. Oh, I can leave it for the rest of today. Uh, you know, it will die on me, you know, at like three o'clock in the afternoon. So it doesn't work for your day to day lives to like treat a battery how it would be most opt- you know, optimally treated. Um, and that's why batteries just become so, you know, they, they essentially die so, so quick. Solar powered phones. That's oh, the there you thing. go. You know, you see it on that. houses and everything. Yeah. Just have like a yeah. bunch of solar panels on the, well, I don't know where you'd put them though. What you'd yeah. you have like a cap or something. Where you'd Special have a hat panel. that you wear. I love that it. Into it. You yeah. know what you joke, but that could be, you know, Mr. Ives next invention. We've brought out. We've just announced the Apple on the hat. We could have made millions out of this. We could have. The, Apple the last hat. thing I will say about the Apple thing. Uh, did, did you hear that? Was it like Tim Cook? He did that. Uh, a massive thing like James Corden's is it carpool karaoke or something? Oh, did he do that? Oh, that, yeah. That was, so, I, I, I watched a couple of the other ones. They look really funny. I think it was Tim Cook and was it Pharrell? And I think it was like a special thing for like their arrival to the you know like the, the keynote talk type thing, uh, at the unveiling of the iPhone and stuff. I think I just heard it heard on the news, but uh, yeah. Um, but other than that, how's life treating you? Life's treating me good, man. Yeah, this this project is coming and going. Like it's um it's doing really well. We've almost I want to say look, we've got the main bits done now. Uh, this prepay project that I, just, I discussed a little bit last last episode uh, to yeah. do like the event stuff. Um, and it's always nice when you can kind of see the finishing line somewhat with a project, which I'm yeah. sure you obviously know with this massive project that you've been doing. Um, yeah. And then yeah. uh, and outside of that, uh, outside of work scenario, um, I've been doing a couple of little bits. Uh, there's actually one thing that is probably a little late, but 
it, it, I hope people picked up on it was the fact that there was a humble bundle um, of loads of programming books. Um, so a humble bundle is one of these things that uh, like they do a lot for games and stuff where they essentially the game maker for charity, uh, you know, say, OK, you can buy all these games for fifteen dollars minimum or something and you can pay as much as you want for these games. Right. Uh, and um, I think a proceed or almost the entire portion goes to charity or something along those lines. So there was one that the, my friend who is a gamer, he, he was like, Oh yeah, you might be interested in this. And I looked, I thought, okay, let's see what, the, let's see what books they've actually got. And I mean, they had the likes of uh, like closure for the brave and true, uh, learning haskell is it learn you a haskell that for greater goods and same with the closure uh, with the erlang one and a bunch of them and i've just i thought yes i've got to get this so i've got my holiday reading all sorted out already yeah yeah true yeah oh that's really cool and actually an interesting thing uh like actually to do with the project a lot of the things we do and a lot of the design choices that we make now are mm. around immutability uh, you know, things such as React, uh, Immutable JS, you know, the beauty of being able to have a data structure that, you know, it just creates a new, essentially a new copy of it. But, you know, underneath it is doing data sharing, but it's, you know, it's creating a different instance. that So it's never mutating a reference that someone else already has. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and you know, you, you get these benefits and you're able to do the things such as when you were doing things like checking equality and stuff, because you can essentially say, is it the same data stream? Is it the same tree? I don't have to go recurse through the whole thing to check if it's the same exact values because I can just check by reference. Yeah. Um, and immutability is great. But the trouble is, and especially in languages such as PHP, where immutability isn't its primary concern like with things like closure closures data structures are immutable implementations by default and everything's shared and it's great you know like there's there's very little performance better degradation that you get from using these immutable these things or you you don't really see them it's negligible um i mean obviously if you were to use the immutable counterparts i'm sure they would be better they would be more performant but you don't get the same drop-off that i found when using things such as php which you know to its credit it wasn't it isn't around to be immutable stuff you know it isn't around to deal with that and you know we've been dealing with these things such as value objects and these kind of type classes and you know dealing with the fact that you know you want new references to things so you're not going to be returning and you know a mutated version of something you're not going to you know mutate something to a reference to something so stuff stuff such is a money object uh yeah. so you know one of the things actually we've been working on you know we have a money pattern object in 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 our source code and our code base and it is immutable by default so what happens is is you know you're going to do something with money uh you then add another bit of money to it it creates you a new reference a new instance of money with that with that total in and that makes sense because you know it, with integers you're not mutating the value one are you when you add one to it you know you're essentially getting two back which is a brand new into, yeah. you know you can kind of think of it in that way you're treating them as values um but the performance characteristics of that can be very very noticeable uh especially when you're doing things such as i mean one of the typical things say that you've got these you know you're newing up all these instances of, of money and you're then doing a reduce on them or you're summing them all up and everything like that so when you sum them up every time you do an ad you're creating a new instance a new record a new money object that it's only being used for the next iteration. So say if you had like a million of these things to sum, you're creating a million, well, a million minus one, uh, you know, instances of, a, of an ob- object that needs to be garbage collected and is redundant, isn't needed because it's just been newed up for the fact that you want to do something, you know, with it. Um, so what what actually happened, and, and this, is, this is kind of leaning on to some of the stuff I've been working on this week, was that a lot to do with performance around the product, the, the, the actual project that we've been working on. 
Um, and I was kind of noticing through using things such as Blackfire, and Blackfire is very interesting. Um, it's a product from this guy from, from Symphony, uh, Sensor Labs, and it allows you to kind of, it uses similar technologies to the XHProf that uh, Facebook use, which allows you to look into your code and see hot paths and, and how you know, expensive certain you know, code paths through your, you know, your code is. So really very good at highlighting these things. And um, so we noticed that, yeah, it, it was obviously... These, these objects were taking up, you know, consuming memory, having to be garbage collected for no reason. So what we did and, and something that Sten, he kind of thought of was, and it's a really interesting design. So you don't want your class to at all, you know, to the public interface of your class, you want everything to be immutable because you don't want them to be able to essentially change things. So one of the things actually I got bit at the same time as, as dealing with this immutable problem with the money thing, the performance side was date time. So date time yeah. is a reference. And how many times have you sent it to something? So, you know, what you do is you have your date time and then you pass it to a function and you say, oh, by the way, in that function, add one to it and then minus one or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you get bitten when you're thinking, hang on, this date time value, well, it's because it's a reference because it has actually, you know, really changed that time. Same in PHP and JavaScript, right? They're both immutable, yeah. exactly it. They're both immutable and you get burnt by it. And then you realize that's why immutability rocks because you know, you're getting a brand new instance back and it's never going to change the one and you're not going to get these kind of, um, you know, things that you don't expect to happen. Yeah. Um, unless you then think about, oh, the fact that it's a reference, you're passing a reference, not a value because, you know, integers and arrays, they've been passed by value so that they're copied so you can actually change them, but you can't change references. Um, so what, you know, the way that they dealt with it in the date time stuff is that in PHP 5.5, uh, they've got a date time immutable object that yes. you can use and yep. there's, it, it, they both buy by the date time interface. So if you provide that the type, you know, type hint of date time interface, you can pass a date time immutable or a date time, or maybe just always do date time immutable. And then you get the wins, you know, it means you don't have to defensively clone your date time, you know, cause when you go into the part, into the object, you go, okay, I want to clone this just in case that I do some alterations to it, or you clone it before you, you know, you're, you're sending it to a method because you're just worried that maybe that method would change it um so yeah so the, the, these problems with you know mutation and you don't want to allow mutation so what uh stem proposed and it was a really clever idea because what, what it allowed us to do was essentially you have the money and all the object all, all public facing functions to it are still immutable but you provide a method that takes a closure called like with mutable and essentially what that does provides you with a mutable instance of that money object that you currently have and it says you can do pretty much any sin you want any you know mutable thing you want with this and every add method or sub method they would be mutable it's encapsulated in that class that yes we know we're switching between mutable mode and immutable mode and it's not leaking out now what that great about that is the fact that you've enclosed and you've 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 kind of um you've you've sectioned off and you've you've Barred in saying, okay, you can only do mut- mutable stuff in this context within this, and it's very, it's very explicit on where the mutability is. You're not passing around such as like the date time stuff and the date time immutable stuff that could be different class instances. You're just saying, okay, with this, here it is, do some stuff. So that's what we did. So you know, you say, here's money, start with zero, with a mutable one, pass a closure that does a reduce inside of it, and you'll find that you now just mutate the same exact instance. And then when you return it, it, crit- it turns it back on to being immutable again, and you're fine, and you're happy days. It returns a mutable, immutable version of it, sorry, and you're happy. Um, and that gives you the, the the benefit because it means that you can both use mutable stuff and immutable, you know, use use mutable stuff when you need to, and immutable stuff for the public interface, so you don't get burnt. 
and it's not the fact of like a trick it's not essentially it's guiding when you can use immutability immutability and it's not allowing you to set yes or no because obviously another way of be doing it is like having the promotional you know kind of the conversion between the two because you'd say give me a date to or give me a mutable money okay now give me an immutable money and having that gets messy because you're like, well, what do I have? And you can't trust it. They both maybe use the same money interface. We're still like, now I have to be defensive because I can't trust that if I did add to it, would it actually alter it? At least this way, it's enclosing that and it's encapsulating it within the class to say, you tell me when I could be mutable. You know, it's essentially flagging. Yeah, it's mutable at the moment. Just return an instance of itself, the same thing, mutating it or create a new instance if it's immutable. And I just thought it was a really interesting way of doing it. Um, yeah, and, 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 it, and it encloses it in a closure so that you know essentially the before and afters of setting and unsetting the fact that it's mutable um is yeah is encapsulated and i just thought i'd share that and i'm going to put it in a blog post because i thought it's a really interesting way of handling mutability uh because yeah you, you are going to need it sometimes you know like these languages aren't made for immutable things such as creating millions i want to say of objects that are just chucked away um, it's really interesting you say that because I've had similar issues recently and I was going to ask you that exact same question in the sense that a lot of the times that I do need like copies of immutable objects is just throw away objects, use once, bin them. And uh, I've been really hacking the way I do it in sort of the sense that I do like a json.pass, json stringify, and then the object so that I get a new copy of it back and it's not by reference. Uh, and that was just because I wanted to stack overflow and I was like, look, what's the easiest way to do this? And that was the solution that I got and it's worked quite well for me. But obviously it doesn't look too nice. It's not very readable and, and you know, so forth. But I was thinking like, you know, I think I've got instances where I've got maybe like um, 10 JavaScript date time objects. I mean, how expensive are they? Um, and the thing is as well, one thing I noticed was my application was running quite smooth on my computer and then I tried it on my mobile and my mobile was really slow and that's the thing you have to be much more aware of if you're building javascript applications like how's it going to perform on your you know on mobile devices that kind of thing absolutely the nice thing obviously with server code is that you can't you have the the choice of where this yeah you you know where the you know and you can test it against the exact same hardware and the exact same setup and you can then benchmark it get these x profs and get these um you know blackfire profiles and you can you know know exactly what's going on but yeah when you're testing things for desk for um javascript you know you're susceptible to whatever the client has yeah that is one thing i i don't like it's it's a bit frustrating really um but you know that's that's progression, isn't it? I mean, uh, and but it's interesting you say because then you because I mean this is the thing like you know the problem you, people get and I've you know you have in the past is to design you you design with optimizations in mind at the start and the yeah. problem with doing that is obviously then you're hindering on your design for performance gains that may be micro optimizations that you don't really care about and it's that whole readability and design versus optimization stuff and and it was only till this week really that when we kind of we finally had a full uh, idea of what the design was and really kind of coming to the end of the project to be like what we did was um you know i did some i imported a bunch of history essentially for a tradesman's for their short, short list and stuff and i just said okay then let's see how it performs and we noticed that it performed terribly and we we're like okay well where is it going wrong um you know which are the real bottlenecks and what you know what times can, do we want you know what benchmarks do we want you know how how long would we want this to take ideally and where can we how can we get those wins um, and it was bits such as um, the fact that like in PHP, so yeah, the immutability stuff, you know, yeah. newing up things. 
uh, we had issues with, and this is an interesting one, that again, Blackfire pointed out, two string. So again, treating classes as values and being like, so we had a user ID value um, and we're saying, okay, well, to a two string on that, if you ever want to do a two string on that, it's going to be the ID within it, encapsulating that logic of what a user ID is and, you know, the, the, the main concept of what makes a valid user ID. And if you two-string it, it will give you, you know, a, a, a string representation of that user ID. Great. And you can use that for things such as array unique and things like that. So you can say, give me all the, you know, unique array, essentially array uniques of all these user IDs, and it's going to treat them as if they were like values. Yeah. Well, it turned out that doing a two-string was so expensive with right. this and it was insane and i was like this is absolutely bonkers you were actually better to array map over all these user ids go and pluck out the id itself you know yourself and then do a unique on that and it was actually quicker than the way of doing it so again we're using php 5 6 and that should be definitely flagged up because you know again like you know obviously with php 7 it will be a lot more performant no matter what um but yeah. you know these were these things where you're like okay well this was and again this is what beautiful with Blackfire was you're able to compare so you run with a change run without a change you can see where you're getting the performance boosts and stuff but it also allowed you to you know us to see okay this was the path that this was taking a lot and it was it was warning us saying by the way you're doing like crazy amounts of work in this bit uh and it was just small tweaks like that that we thought would net you know you'd never spot we've just kind of you know when you we think of optimizations and we think oh yeah that's a you know something we have to ke- take in mind and stuff like our own opinions and thoughts and feelings on what an optimization should be as yeah. opposed to no this is really what's happening and that's why i found out like actually you know you want to know what's really happening so again us kind of hypothesizing yeah actually maybe it's too you know maybe it is too much new you, you know like having these you know date times that you're having problems with but definitely yeah. i would say go get the profiler out and and check because maybe it isn't that and maybe it's something different and it maybe it's something that you can handle so i'm just looking at this black fire now online it looks pretty good actually but it's, yeah, it's only for php so obviously yeah. with javascript stuff you're gonna have to i think you can get like the chrome profiler out and see what's going on there yeah. Um, and it can do some more interesting things. I mean, I definitely recommend something like this, um, you know, an ex-prof and things, because it does highlight things that I know, I know I never would have thought of. I, I mean, at the moment in PHP 5.6, I think takes longer than PHP 5, uh, PHP 7, sorry. So things such as like array reduces and we're reducing over a value and because it's copying it again, like the array and things like that, and it's doing, it, you know, you're better off using a for each loop and stuff. And, and what we did was we took a conservative effort to be like, well, we want readability. Readability is obviously a massive part of it but obviously getting the product to be fast enough is on weight with that you know if not more in some you know in in areas where it's like okay can we have the trade-off from readability to use say like a for each loop i mean stuff that i did was um and this was something that was conservative thinking well this is going to make this harder to read so we better put a lot of commenting around it and stuff we have a very tight loop that was calling a couple of methods and it yeah. was calling a couple of predicate methods because, you know, the, the clean code way is, you know, you have a couple of private helper methods that are like the predicates that allow you to have, you know, code that's readable as opposed to having comments for that saying like, is, you know, blah, blah, blah. Is this a predicate working? Turned out that doing this, uh, you know, it wasn't in line in the, that function and it was calling, invoking that function every time and it was incurring function call costs every iteration. So what we did was that we inlined those predicates and we were getting a speed boost that way. Another one is actually, again, like what, what I did was I had a massive, again, I think the design could have been changed in some of these cases and it was maybe me just aiding it with this. Um, like this one was that we had a massive list and we did, I did do some referencing stuff on it. So I said, okay, well, we need to, you know, use a reference of this for in this for each loop, use a reference of each one of these debits, say, and actually if it meets this criteria, null it. 
because we know we're never going to use it again. So nulling it was a quicker check for me than doing all these other predicates and stuff. So again, you have to heavily comment these things, these optimizations you do. But in some cases, yeah, they, they give you crazy gains. And, and it turned out from being like the page would not load uh, to, okay, now we're down to about two seconds um, on our worst cases, which wow. we were happy with. Um, yeah. And it just shows you that, you know, using these tools and your intuition is great. And I feel, you know, like some of the intuition stuff I did was I was like, yeah, now that's, that's going to be a problem with stuff. But really, it was getting the profiler out and saying, you tell me what the problems really are. And it highlighted these. And then it was, yeah, major quick. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I feel like there's something I, I definitely need to improve on. Like for me, in terms of my optimizations are, you know, check how long my queries are taking, all that kind of stuff. Um, but certainly JavaScript debugging and stuff, profiling that kind of thing i am terrible at and i've just taken it for granted so much but now i'm making a big javascript application i need to uh really improve on that side of things because and I, I mean i tried using the um react debugging tool as well and i didn't i didn't find that overly helpful a really annoying catch 22 because you're obviously testing you're profiling your application or for say like a new thing so something that's new you're profiling it in a dev environment somewhat yeah and dev environments aren't the real thing because obviously they have dev debugging tools in. So you have to kind of simulate as much of the real world production world as possible. You know, you're not going to be having all these logs and all these debug, you know, traces through it all and everything. So, you know, when you're testing it, you have to test it in a performant way that is it is it the fact that you have to weigh up, sorry, that is it the debug stuff that's causing me to have these performance decreases? You know, the fact that it's in dev and it will be quick in production or is it the fact that, you know, it's a real problem? um and you know this is when it goes into you know you have to think about these things especially when having like a react debugger like you know for for things like that you are better off just using things like google chrome's debugging and things like that and really going to the v8 engine and seeing what's happening i mean i've I've noticed uh funny little optimizations that people have done like um there was a couple of in hacker news actually um but specifically with certain because obviously now you know the javascript is a big thing and all these different engines you know they all have slight differences and slight nuanced tweaks and stuff and there's this ideas of you know like being in fast mode in v8 um and being able to do stuff and and obviously code has to match a certain pattern to to become in fast mode and it was the fact that this person wasn't using an index zero index based object within a bit of code and it was impeding massive performance and you know it's impeding from performance and the minute they did this small slight tweak that had no meaning at all you're thinking what the hell you know boom it was fine again happy days um yeah it's it's crazy you know how, how you how these things happen and and it is about going through a debugger and working that out and again intuition will get you so far but actually having a profiler will get you to that next level i think that allows you to and it allows you then in like the pull request and like in your kind of feelings when you reflect on it no you can see from there to there this is a this is a performance gain boost and then you have to weigh up is it still a readable enough and is it worthwhile like you know i don't believe i mean there's a reason why we use high level languages why don't we all just use just use assembly then if we really want the best performance we're going to use that we use higher languages because of readability because of understanding because of being able to kind of handle these concepts in our mind so you know you have to weigh that up that you don't want to be writing cryptic code for the fact of writing cryptic code you want to write it in a cryptic way some for some tight loops that require it and then you obviously then want to comment around it and aid the fact that look yeah we know this is scary and this is that this is weird but this is the reasons why yeah. You got any uh, other things you wanted to go through? <laughs> I, I do, actually. I do. Yeah. Um, backup strategy. Something <laughs> that actually we were sp- I was speaking to Lou about last week. So he had this last week, didn't he? Yeah, it was really interesting kind of discussing it. Um, 
Well, what what is your like database backup strategy? Oh, what isn't it? Um, <laughs> at the minute, personally, I mean, obviously, this project I'm working on is like the first sort of big free freelance project I've done. So, um, so I suppose you'll be thinking about this now, then, kind of, you know, it's nearing kind of yeah. MVP. How are you going to get, you know, when you've got to start getting real data in, kind of how you want to deal with the backups and stuff. Yeah, I'm hoping Amazon will do it all for me. So uh, that will be my solution, to be honest with you. Well, I think, I think that's a great solution, yeah. personally. I think, you know, having snapshots and stuff, I mean, I, I, I'm sure, like, the products, like, the... Um... I think snapshots are free as well, aren't they? I, I've One of the um, cool features of uh, RDS. Because uh, I was looking the other day, I was saying that snapshots are free. But if you want, like, um, automated, like, backups, like, you know, set periods and stuff, they have to pay for them. But if you, like, take a snapshot every now and again yourself, uh, there's a certain amount you can do for free, I think. Well, that's perfect. I mean, this is this is always the problem. Like, you only ever need a backup yeah. when you have buggered up. <laughs> um, you know, when when a problem has happened and you need to retrieve some data, or your client needs to retrieve some data. And and I remember when I did some freelance stuff. You know that you know my backup strategy was quite cautious and very kind of uh, pessimistic. You know, like yeah. they're going to bugger up. So what I would do is I had a backup pretty much twice a day. You know, one at noon. One at six and uh, one at noon, sorry, and then one at um, midnight. Yeah, and so that you know catered for the pretty much you know the whole every twelve hours I would do a backup. Um, and what that allowed me to, and what I did was obviously that was automated. Um, at, at that current stage, it was you know these were my SQL databases. So you'd run them, you'd you'd have a, a you know a, I mean they don't have to be technical and and typically you know the le- the the most simple backup solutions are probably the easiest the best because they're the least likely to break so it was a cron job so what it would be is you have a cron job that runs the mysql database backup stuff it yeah. would strip out you know it doesn't need the fact of dropping tables and stuff so you'd clean up as much sql as possible you'd gzip it because there's a lot of redundant data in sql and it would put it into a folder um, and then what would happen after that is the folder obviously it would all be on the system still um and, and i mean i should say also that these product these systems that i built they weren't having a massive load on them so you know me backing up say midday wasn't a problem because it only took a matter you know like a matter of 30 seconds or so to back up the system uh, yeah. and you know doing it in a non-locking way um so i then had those backups gzipped and and then the, the thing comes to that it's great having a backup in one place but what happens if that place goes down specifically you normally back it up to the server that it's on because it's yeah. the you know it's the place that you know that it's it's closest to, um, so what 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 I did then was I also have a script I had a script sorry that you know mo- uh, actually it was called Dropbox CLI and it actually just because Dropbox gives you two gigabyte of data for free uh, yeah. once it's all g zipped up great you know I mean I'm now on the Dropbox Pro thing so you can have whatever but you know if you just wanted a simple you know case of Amazon cloud storage I know that like Google Drive there's actually like a thing called R Cloud now that's similar to like R Sync that allows you to kind of essentially use these things like these different services and just have the same command line for each one of them and just say oh yeah I want to move from there to there and it's just you know it knows how to internally work all the different services all these different um, file storage systems um, and it would just back up each one of those to Dropbox um, right. I also had another script <laughs> um, on a separate box that again I was very pessimistic here so I also had another script that what it would do was it would actually check my Dropbox say at half 12 or something 
or you know like well at half 12 and then like throughout just to make sure that that that, that it had it actually had got successfully got a, a backup from the other place to make yeah. sure that they successfully backed up and uploaded it because it's all fair and well it's been backed up and but then it's like well did it ever get uploaded and you can check and you will check the first couple of times you're t- doing running these scripts you'll be like yeah i'm checking every day i'm making sure that they're backed up but you will forget so it's better off having these things where you have such as these essentially triggers of like, okay, if the, and it couldn't find it, it doesn't find it at 12.30, okay, email me or send me a push notification saying this backup wasn't here. And it at least allows me something to, you know, that I'm going to check on because I'll be like, oh, that's that's pretty serious. Um, yeah. Because I noticed also another thing I used to do as well um, was in backups, I would send an email off and I'd say, yeah, we successfully did this backup. Yeah. That's great, but those backup they just become spam in your email box because you hit see them every day yeah, so i see yeah. one two every day and i just forget about them because they become prob you know prob you know it just becomes yeah. just noise to me um it's the whole idea of having a failing test isn't it where you have a failing test and you just ignore it and then it just re- it just gets more and more failing tests because you start allowing red code you allow you allow broken code in you're allowing these tests to fail one test is as many as 100 tests, 1,000 tests. It doesn't matter how many tests because you're allowing, you know, that one to fail. Essentially, it's, you know, the similar kind of mentality. So what I did was, yeah, instead, you know, you just have it that it checks on error. So if it couldn't find it, you would then send me an email. And then obviously, if I did actually really get an email, I knew, well, oh, crap, this is serious. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, to be honest with you, uh, you know, that this is dealing with it yourself and it goes into i mean we've had this chat already you know many times before that you know you start having a pass or a sass and you have like the rds's of the world and stuff and they will deal with this stuff for you you know there'll be a cost Mm -hmm. to it maybe in some cases but sometimes it's just better to let them deal with it um you know having like your own postgres instance or mysql instance you then have to deal with the fact of backups you have to deal with the fact of actually being able to get those backups online because you know it's fine having a backup but how do you actually get and rotate and be able to get them in place to actually go back online one of the things is like yeah how do you get people's data back because you know maybe sometimes what you'd have to do is be able to pull that down to a local box be able to find the stuff that you want and then be able to replace it in the live database maybe or do you want an automated solution for that or do you need a full replacement and it's things like that with backup strategy and and it also comes in with code i mean code we're a lot better with i think because of the fact of things like git and things that version control but having like storage and specifically you know database storage and also uploads should be said things like s3 is great for that because you know allowing them to handle it but if you're handling all these things you need to back them up um and it's making sure you back them up the right way and how you get them back yeah i think that's 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 true actually um and i think as well it's like it's knowing your limits because like certainly for me like i'm just one developer working on this project and you know, it's a lot of responsibility when you think about all the maintenance and all that kind of stuff. So, like you say, I mean, you probably do pay a bit for like, um, you know, RDS to do your backups and stuff, but that's invaluable. You know, if if it's giving you a bit of peace of mind, it's taking a load of work off your plate. Um, but again, it, if you if you've got something where it is like, you know, software as a service, you have to weigh it up what your subscription costs are versus, you know, all your hosting costs and all the rest, don't you? But yeah absolutely but at the end of the day if you are storing important information you do have to back it up yeah absolutely Um, and and your client doesn't expect you know for it just to go and it's like well it's gone yeah it's like well i didn't back it up i do a manual backup every every time i can be bothered or i remember that's not a great solution uh and and take that mind off you know like if you're gonna do it yourself spend some time invest some time just in a simple you know whether it's just a cron job solution or you know more advanced solutions that you want um but you know invest some time in it or guys you say like if you 
I always think like, you know, these sasses and passes are great because like, you know, your product, like what, what is it, what is it trying to do? Is it, is it reinventing the wheel of how it uses systems? Like, does it use a specific database that's, you know, like highly configured to a certain spec or brand new software that only you have access to that you have to manually configure? Like if it doesn't, and it just needs generic systems, such as I need, I need a relational database um, with good enough performance gains. And I need a soft, a system like that these sasses and passes are great because your value in your product then is the code that you're writing not the actual infrastructure it's on and that's why these products you know sasses and passes become so important because they're saying well the common denominator is everyone's infrastructure is very similar or you know there's not really wins and gains in that um you know so i mean that's why you know the only t- people you know it's things like amazon obviously amazon's you know like this performance and stuff they've got is by having better infrastructure but they've reached a level that it was required to do that and in fact that's why they built aws um for us they're saying well you know obviously our infrastructure is very similar it's just the fact that actually the code's different um and you know backing up things and stuff you know again like you don't need crazy backup strategies you can just use a sas or a pass that does it for you but it is weighing up, you know, where you want to be. Like, you know, whether you want to know everything about your system or you want to allow other people to handle stuff. You know, you know like, okay, I can set this, you know, this you know, RDS up now to do a snapshot every day. Uh, or I can make it so it has a rolling, pair, you know, uh, slave database. Uh, great. Awesome. Let it do it. You, you know, what's the value in you setting it up? Other than maybe, you know, then it's weighing up, okay, with well, the cost too much. Okay, then when they're now, obviously, cost has become into it then yes, you may need to do it yourself. But if you've got the money and you you know it's it's a relatively good price for what you have, weighing up again about the value mm. of your product compared to it, you can work it out. So yeah, tangent over. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a really good, good important topic actually. Um, one thing I was going to talk about was, um, and I spoke to you about it the other day, you know, about the importance of flat tables in your database. And I've done a lot of, made a lot of changes to my, um, not changed to my well, a few changes to my schema. Um, just because I really needed something where I could do a query on one table and get information back very quickly. It's like denormalizing de- it essentially, like kind of yeah. trying to just yeah, exactly. Because actually, I, I looked at my database design and so I was thinking from a relational database, you know, with my relational database hat on, I was thinking, yeah, this is good. You know, I've got this one item that then has many of these, and then many of these have many of those, and it was right, but. From a top level, from like my first query, I was looking to then get things that were nested down. You know, that was a bit of a pain. I just wanted to get that that top table. But because I've got data coming in continuously, it wasn't like I could just run a cron job and create a flat table at midnight every night. And so I, I did make some changes so I could sort of like just get the... Because I just wanted like the first item in some of those nests, um, you know, from the top. So I'm not describing this very well. But... So I, I worked a way around it to do that, but it didn't. It didn't seem sort of like um, intuitively natural for a relational database. But that that you know what's funny though, that's the exact same thing about any optimization, isn't it? Because yeah. you know what I was explaining, um, you know, with the code was like you're writing code now that doesn't feel right, and I think that's the mm-hmm. problem with optimizations is they aren't they aren't what you wanted to do in the first place. Yeah. Um, you know, the micro optimizations are a detriment, you know, like make you design a product that isn't readable, isn't the right way you want to go down. And similar with this, like having a flat table like this doesn't feel right because it's not normalized. And, you know, it's like this duplicate data somewhere. And the trouble is though, is you have to then weigh up with your code and you're realizing, okay, well, you've come to a point in the code base where, or in, in the SQL query and the design of your database itself, you're like, okay, well, we've got this. Now I need to make these bits. These are pain points now. 
and you found the real pain points. You haven't thought about them when they weren't pain points, you know, when they were kind of like a thought in your, you know, your mind where, you know, you've, you've actually come to the solution now that this is where I'm going and this is what I need to actually have queries that are performant on. You know, you can write, run as many indexes on them and have all this stuff as possible. But sometimes, yeah, you're right. Having them, splitting them out into a flat table that's denormalized is yeah. a win. Um, and maybe if that does have to impede on your design, but you have to weigh up these pros and cons. And in this case, it was a pro to do. Yeah. I know things like Magento, they use flat tables quite a lot, don't they? Sort of, you know, generate these new flat tables every time you like make a new product or something like that. So it does seem like the way to go, but uh, it did make me think maybe I'd like to have a, a play with something that's not a relational database at some time. I don't know, if you've got much experience of like non-relational databases or? Um, I mean, like back in the day, did a bit of Mongo stuff. Like yeah. pretty much everyone, I think. Uh, <laughs> it was yeah. like you know, it's a Mongo DB, uh, and then you realise you know a document store. I mean, Postgres again, like is great for NoSQL stuff as well because it has a document store, you know, inbuilt essentially, so yeah. you can have unrelational data or uh, yeah, non-relational data in there. Um, again, it's yeah, it's, it's working out like where are the pain points and. I don't think it's bad having like a flat table that you use for relations quick to be able to find data and stuff. I mean, you know, I I was half thinking you're going to say you're going to go down the route of using triggers and things like that, where you have a relational model. And then what happens is triggers in the background generate tables for you that reflect that in a quicker way that you can then use in queries and stuff. That's another way of dealing with it. Um, okay. in, fact, in fact, we actually have that. One of the things we do, um, so we have an events table, an events table when a, a certain events come in. So we store in an event, You have so you have your, your common fields, you know, your event ID, who did it, the time. But then mm. you have a bunch, an event type, sorry. But then the type depends on all the other governs and attributes that you have. So we have an attributes, you know, JSON field that has all the other stuff related to that. Um, you know, you, you, there's so many ways of going around this. You could have split tables for different types of, you know, each each of the different types of them. So you could work out which one it needs to be. You could have all the fields that any possible event has and they would be nullified, you know, if they didn't actually exist in that table. Or you could go down the way we did again, which was just having a JSON field that's non-relational. But getting to that JSON information, so we only want to find expiring ones that expired today. So working it out means we have to limit on the type, but then we also have to go and crawl through some unrelational data and pick out, pluck out their, you know, their bonus expires at, when does it actually expire at, and find it. Now, that can be quite performant intensive because, you know, it's picking out all these records. We can limit them down to as many records as possible. But then that's still a lot of records who, you know, could expire. And then we say, okay, now we need to go and get every one of these. And Jason, although, you know, they've done a good job, like it's not relational. So it's not been out. I mean, you can index on these things and stuff, but it's not the best way of doing it. So what we've done is we have a trigger table. And all we do is we have a trigger. Uh, we have a tr- sorry, we have a trigger that creates a table. So when when a record is inserted into this events table, the beautiful thing about this events table is it's append only, so we don't expect it to change or it can't it change. Um, you know, once it's been added, a trigger when it's inserted there, a trigger gets run, and all it does is it, it, it implicitly, you know, kind of you know in the background says, all right, then is this a expiring one? Oh, it is. Go and add it to the when bonus expires table, and it denormalizes oh it, it kind of yeah essentially it just makes a lookup table out of it where it says okay this event id expires on this date i want to index that date and now we can have a quick lookup for it it doesn't hinder the design we were quite lucky where it doesn't hinder the design and it's only an optimization that's happening in the fact that we're using a relational database and how we're storing it way um you know some of them we haven't been so lucky with do you ha- you don't ha- end up with like race conditions with that kind of thing where something's happened since you've created that table or 
Well, would... so so because it's append only. Um, I was going to say, so yeah. that's the way. Okay, again, it's yeah. that, that's the beauty of it, where you know you add an event, um, yeah. it's added. It could you know add a record yeah. into this table. Um, yeah. So if you're starting modifying data, like because I know your problem was, I was thinking how useful, like how much does this change? You're saying this data changes a lot. And it's like, okay, well, that's when triggers and stuff get a bit iffy. And then you're going to put so much logic into a trigger and it's like all that business logic. And it's like, how much do you weigh up from being business logic to being, you know, just performance kind of database logic? And yeah, yeah, it can get a bit messy. But I think that's the trouble with any optimization. And that's why I've really valued the profiler because I've been like, tell me what the profile, you know, what does the profiler tell me what's the worst things? Because I don't want to change my code. We like our code. We only want to change the bits that it really is having problems with. Yeah. Well, that was as much as I had anyway. So, uh, well, I have yeah. one more thing I'd like to talk about. Actually, yep. two things. Uh, Self plug uh, did Self-plug. a new blog post, AVL Trees uh, Enclosure. Uh, and it was one of those ones where I actually decided to use the product, you know, the Dropbox uh, taking pictures of documents thing. Yeah. Uh, so I actually did some drawings of some trees for it because I was like, how can I explain these things? Or how can I explain to myself, really, or like when I want to look at it again and understand what the hell these mean? <laughs> uh, like, how do all these rotations work? So I was like, oh, that's great. Actually, I draw them and I just took a picture of them and it came out looking quite spiffy and it actually works really well, like being able to use that product. Like you're taking right. a picture of it, it's able to look like a scan. Um, and now I'm looking at two, three trees and some B trees. So next podcast, hopefully I'll have a blog post on one of those. Um and another thing, uh, this is kind of related to house stuff. So uh, for my birthday, I was really lucky to get a vinyl player. Um, I'm, I'm into my vinyl a little bit, uh, quite a yeah. bit now, actually. For the part, it's one of those things where I thought, oh, is this going to be a fad? And now it's kind of like, you know, year. Well, it's not year, actually, no, more more like nine months or so. And I've been like, yeah, no, I really do like vinyl. Haven't opened it yet because I'm still waiting. I'm going to open it when I get into the house. Um, I'm using <laughs> my dad's one at the moment. Uh, but I've been thinking to myself, how can I kind of, I want, see, I want to have the vinyl player, say, in a room. And I want to kind of, I was thinking, well, I want wireless speakers or something, you know, and you can get Bluetooth stuff and everything. And I was like, well, that's great. But Bluetooth only has a certain place that, you you know, distance you can get and stuff. And I, maybe I want, you know, it to be, it'd be in the study, but I want it to be able to be playing in the, in the living room or something. So I'm looking at kind of an AirPlay solution. So the idea would be, um, this is just me kind of thinking like out loud now, is that what you do is you have your, your vinyl player. Obviously, you you inline it into your. I've got like a little small desktop um, computer server that I have, and then what it does is it's able then to that input feed then goes into AirPlay, and then AirPlay you can then pick it up in other rooms using say like a Raspberry Pi or something, or yeah. just using you know like your your phone and stuff. And essentially, then you've got streaming around the whole house, beautiful vinyl goodness. So there you go. <laughs> Hopefully, that's what I'll be able to do. But I've just been kind of thinking of it. And um, yeah, I don't know why I'm explaining it on here, but I'm sure someone's thinking, yeah, that's exactly what I want to do. That does sound very cool, actually. Yeah. It sounds like a waste of time, I think. But <laughs> I really want to play around with the AirPlay protocol and stuff and see what's going on there because there's been a lot of interesting things people have done with it. Um, and the more I read up on it, I'm like, yeah, this would be quite a cool idea. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, I can fully understand your... Um your hobby of like collecting vinyl because it's just i don't know i miss sort of like having physical cds and that it, kind of stuff it's, it's nostalgic it, like for me yeah. i've always been like a digital guy so every time like you know get the get an mp3 player um you know i remember having like the old nomad creative one like big yeah. cd looking one i was like i hate cds and stuff. and now completely gone for um, you know full circle because 
I just love looking at like the album art. It's like an experience now. It sounds really sad, yeah. but it's like, yeah, you know, you get the album and, you know, you're able to look at the album art and look at the lyrics and you have the album on and it just feels it's more of a, you know, the sound is your own sound and you've got yeah. that. It, it, yeah, it's a great feeling. I don't know why, but I just yeah. love vinyl now. And, and it's funny how a lot of people have felt that. It's, it's funny how things become full circle, don't they? You know, they yeah. go out of passion. It was like, you know, vinyl, then we have tape, then we have CD, MP3, and now we're back again. So waiting for tape to come back tapes were great you know <laughs> oh tapes yeah i'm with you there yeah <laughs> all right then Matt. well cool. i think that's a pretty good episode there i think we've touched on a couple of uh interesting done it things. again haven't you done it again another great i always do that we I big ourselves up so much i know you just so love the sound of your own voice so that's what it is. I, I, yeah. well i must do i yabber on for so much <laughs> uh but anyway audience it's been another episode that it may or may not be great uh yeah, i've enjoyed it known. I yep. don't know whether Mickey, Mickey, have you enjoyed it? Hated it. Yeah, every bit of it. Oh, dear. Yep. Okay, well, hopefully we do another one of these, unless Mickey doesn't want to anymore because he hated <laughs> it so much. Uh, but I'm sure we'll speak to you again, well, next week. Speak to you later, guys. Cheers. Bye. You've been listening to Three Devs and a Maybe. You can contact us at contact at threedevsandamaybe.com. Or follow us on Twitter at the number three, Devs and a Maybe.